morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm joined by members of the Fordham Experimental Theater, or FET, a performance group at Fordham University that's run by the students for students. Recently, they took their talents to TV with a bi-weekly sketch comedy show, Do You Get It? Now let's meet some of the members of FET. Let's go around and all three of you introduce yourself and tell us how you got into comedy. Hi, I'm, my name is Jeff Sharkey. Um, I started comedy um, January of my freshman year of college. I tried out for the sketch comedy troupe on campus with an FET and did not get in. Um, <laughs> and then I tried out for Fordham stand-up and uh, made it. And it was a fantastic decision um, on their part and also mine. <laughs> it's the most arrogant but thing ever. <laughs> but it was, it was such a blessing because I wouldn't have been able to probably get into FET otherwise. And then now I'm the, the head of Fordham stand-up. My name is Amanda Pell. I am going to be a senior. Um, I only do stand-up. I don't do anything else. And I'm Ryan Creamer. I just graduated, so every time I come back to this campus, they're like, mm, you need an ID. And I'm like, I don't have one. Because <laughs> they reissue the alumni cards, and I haven't got one. Uh, but <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> they just rush in and like rip me out of this. Yeah. <laughs> security! Security! <laughs> yeah. I, um, I started doing comedy stuff. I've I've been making videos like my whole life. I would have a camcorder at home and just kind of shoot with my brothers and sisters and just like off the top of our heads, fun stuff like that. But I guess I never did it seriously until I got to Fordham. I tried out for improv on like a, this could be a fun like college thing to do. Um, did that my sophomore year, got in. Tried out for stand-up my junior year, got in. Now I am not involved obviously with the FET stuff. So yeah, I'm trying to take stuff into the city now and uh, do some Open mics, which are very sad uh, places. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the Do You Get It stuff uh, as well, and it's been good. And we're going to get into everybody's career in a minute, but I want to ask one question for each of you. What is funny to you? <laughs> that No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Robin, that was uh, inappropriate. <laughs> I think, actually, we talk about this a lot um, because we all have different ideas of what is funny. I personally, I tend towards like very observational or very intelligent humor. And I, they don't? Yeah. No, they're <laughs> dumb. We're absolute brutes. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, because our, our troop is bigger than just the three of us, and we definitely have a lot of different... How many uh, people in the troop? Now, ten. Yes, there are ten now. In stand-up? But, yeah, there are definitely a lot of different styles of it. Personally, there's a saying, speaking truth to power. And personally, that's what I... I think it's important that comedy is funny and is saying something about the world, which not necessarily how everyone sees it. But. No, I, I think that's interesting because I, I agree. I think everyone has a different idea of what funny is. And I think anything to me can be funny depending on my mood. Like, I, I'd like to think I have a higher brow, like, um, sophistication towards comedy. But I also watched, like, Jackass 2 the other day. <laughs> and, like, I'm not going to argue with how much I laughed at it. <laughs> so, um what I think is funny is based off of influences I grew up with. And I was like, oh, these guys are making me laugh a lot. And I based what was funny off of what they did. So, uh, Ryan, who did you grow up with? So I grew up with our household had Best of Will Ferrell on SNL DVD, Best of Chris Farley. Yeah. Uh, so just watching those and watching them literally just over and over again and knowing the sketches like the back of my hand doing impressions of will ferrell's impressions of harry carey that you recorded <laughs> and had your family do. yeah 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 yeah, uh -huh. yeah pretty much um yeah but watching those guys and being like they just make me laugh so much and they look like they're having so much fun doing it. and i was like i don't think i consciously was like this is what's funny to me it just influenced how i thought 
Jeff? Um, there's a lot of things that I think are funny. Um, I'm kind of within the same vein that uh, Ryan thinks, which everything can be funny. Unlike Amanda, who's just a... Unlike I'm Amanda. Just... <laughs> um, but I think personally, like within my own comedic voice, I always struggle with what I think I should be saying. Hmm. Um, a lot of times, when I started out, it was a lot of like dark humor, and then it got more into like silly... Um, I'm overhearing a conversation that's ridiculous and then making fun of it on stage. Or like, what's an example of the dark humor? I guess of both. Like, I know the dark humor m- more so, but I think yeah, um, at least well, the dark humor. I remember doing a bit on stage that was about how Disney World is very inaccurate with the countries that it portrays. Um, and one of the jokes I remember being was about Africa and how it was very. It's not as magical as Disney makes it out to be. <laughs> and one, I was like, for instance, there would be in this very accurate Disney World, there would be a Rwanda ride, but no one, but no one would, no one would go to it. Like it, was, it was very much because like making fun of the Rwanda right, right, right. situation and, and how everyone ignored it um, didn't go over too well. <laughs> well, that's a high concept. Yeah, that's a yeah. You're expecting yeah. Fordham uh, students, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which are smart people, but college students. You should have done it in yeah. history class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Um, but I remember, I, I remember doing that, and then it was sort of dark, and then I tried to do different types of comedy, and I still struggle with it today of what my actual When you mean you struggle, Jeff, do you mean you struggle with the, the coming up with the ideas or changing the type of comedy that you're trying to deliver? The two go hand in hand. I think it starts with trying to change the type mm-hmm. of comedy, and then within that it becomes, how do I come up with these new ideas? Well, Ryan, you have to figure that out because you graduated. Yeah. So how are you doing in figuring out your style? Um, I definitely am not doing as many open mics as I should be doing, and I say should be doing just because I think that's the way that you gauge that the best yeah. um, is figuring out your voice. But Meaning you have to go up there and bomb to figure out what works? A little bit. Absolutely. A little bit, yeah. Um, and... Like Jeff was saying too, maybe it's not even if you if your material's good or not, but it's like your tone and what kind of comic you want to be. Um, because there's so many different kinds. Like uh, we were talking about Chris Farley and Will Ferrell before. Chris Farley is like a very physical. He just commits so hard. There's just so many different styles, and I think um, we're at a place where we're just trying to figure out well, where what is ours. Because like Amanda said, like you you don't have to be challenged by that at Fordham. I guess being in the city and doing that stuff is more challenging. It's not as fun as doing it at Fordham because you're like people are laughing. This makes me happy. Whereas um, doing it in the city is more like I'm working out, like going to the gym right now. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, so. it's an exercise that I think every comedian needs to do. Sure. I've, I've never left an open mic. Or even any any time I performed in the city, I've never left it with like a good feeling about yeah. myself. I'm always like, maybe comedy's not. For me. <laughs> oh. So, do you guys subscribe to a particular style now, or mm. are you still just sort of searching? I'm still searching, but I think I've narrowed it down a little bit. I still try to make some dark jokes if I can, as long as the punchline isn't tied to any like hate or animosity sure. towards any specific group or anything. As long as the joke it can reference something that is very dark and very like terrible but as long as the joke isn't about like victims or something like that it's about the people who are doing it or making yourself the victim it um comes off a little better in addition to that i I would still say my stuff is trying to be very silly with conversations um that i overhear and then trying to make them like a silly like i can't believe i heard this on the subway that doesn't make sense because x y and z do you think there's a reason not a reason but can you pinpoint what kind of inspired or made you want to do darker stuff or is it just what's natural i think it's what's 
natural, I guess, at first. I mean, we live in a world where everything's not the best, sure, sure, you sure. know, and it's easy to like pick out things that aren't good and sort of make fun of them. I and think it's kind it, of comedian's job yeah, to do that. It's yeah, a comedian's job to make something, you know, happy sure, for a split second. Sure, sure, sure. I think that that was like a very defining moment for me when I was first deciding the difference between when I just like wanted to do stand up versus when I decided it was what I wanted to do for real was. You know, it's a fun thing to do, but it's important, too. Mm. You know, it's a thing that people need. Um, And that was, like, the first time that I really knew that this was what I wanted to do was when I got up on stage um, and there was a girl in the audience who I knew had broken up with her boyfriend that day. So I knew she was having a terrible, terrible day. I could see it on her face. You could tell she wasn't eating or, like, showering or anything. She was having a horrible day. And then when I watched the tape back, of my performance, I could see her in the audience, like, doubled over laughing. And I was like, I did something good today. Or you know? she was just I... writhing from not eating. <laughs> uh, uh, that's possible. <laughs> no, that's um, awesome. But sort of what you said before, Amanda, it's like, it is an important job to make people laugh and even make them see things in a different way, in a way maybe they otherwise wouldn't have thought about it and maybe wouldn't have laughed about it. So can I ask you guys, how do you approach your writing? What steps do you take or or do you or do you kind of sit down and like blah all over the paper and see what comes out? No, I do literally that. Yeah. You blah? I, just, I blah. Yeah. I've yeah. heard that's a pretty popular technique. <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah. So that just means you like sit down and you just like throw it all all your ideas on and see which one sticks or people. I feel like people ask us that a lot. Like, how how do you go about the process of writing? And for me personally, the reason I started thinking like a comedian was just because it's whenever I'm bored during the day. This is how I start thinking to entertain myself. And then the parts of it that I know would be funny to other people and not just me, I write it down on the page and then, you know, I see what I can do with it. But um, I think that's the thing is is being able to look at boring situations in a way that is entertaining because that's helpful to me in the moment. That's why I write most of my stuff on the subway Mm -hmm. because the subway is the most boring thing you could possibly do. And I think that that's the integral thing there is that I'm trying to entertain myself and if I can successfully do that, then maybe I can entertain somebody else. Do you have a notebook? Um, right now I have an Excel spreadsheet because I had my notebook really? stolen and that was, yeah. How, did, How wait, that what? <laughs> Where? Ireland. Ireland. The country of Ireland, yes. Uh, I have an Excel spreadsheet that I use now um, and it just like goes across and it's like the, the title of the bit, the theme that it fits into and then when you write a joke there's the concept that you should have three like beats. How do you explain the three beat thing? If you have a premise, you, you want to hit three... Like examples. Examples yeah. of, of the premise. So Jeff's Disney World bit about um, the places in Epcot, the countries not being like realistic. Um, the Africa Rwanda one could be the third one. The first two could be like, Ireland is not like this, and then yeah. Britain is not like this. Three just works better. Yeah. I guess, yeah. Because like, yeah. four seems too much... Two is Not seems enough. a little bit too. Is there something about how we think as humans that I it, guess. we need? I guess it's like the Goldilocks uh, syndrome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. That's, that's a the good... medical. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's the medical Goldilocks syndrome. <laughs> the technical thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a thing in in like just regular non comedic writing too. I think is the, is really? the yeah uh, the concept. But anyway, the, my explanation was just that's how I I write it down. I write what the three beats are, and that's then so how I'm going to gonna wrap it up. Jeff or Ryan, uh, what do you consider your comedic style now? Or, or how, do, how is your writing, rather? I think my writing is, um, I've tried sitting down and writing bits, and it really, I don't do well with it. I think the way I do comedy is I listen all the time. Because it's so much easier yeah. than making stuff up by myself, which sounds so lazy. But it's like, um, if you just listen to everything else that's happening, like on the subway, for example, you could hear so many things that are crazy and, like... 
realistically, everything that happens on the subway is hilarious. <laughs> right. It's just, if you listen to everything around you and just, like, take what you want, like a scrapyard, and just try to reforge it into what you want, that's how I, that's how I do it, because... I find it easier, but it's also more fun to me. Okay. Sitting down and writing feels a lot like homework. Um, so that's so you I... sort of eavesdrop on people's conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sort of like, do you take notes too, or do you just um, kind of remember I it? I think, yeah, on my phone, if I overhear something I think is funny, or, I mean, I, I also have a brain. I can think of stuff myself <laughs> sometimes. I'll, I'll write it down and, like, um, look back on it later if I say yes to an open mic, and I'm like, oh, what should I do? And then I have all that stuff on. So you, you know. don't have a notebook at all? I mean, I do. I don't use it. I'm sort of similar with, with Ryan in the sense that mine is very on the go. I've sat down and tried to write, and it's tough. It's just very tough to be like, here's everything that's in my head, and let's see if something's funny out of this. It also takes work, and I think it takes patience. I just haven't gotten there yet. So where do you get your inspiration then? I think it's conversations I've had with people or, again, like overhearing things. Similar to Ryan, I have a note section on my phone that's filled with the worst <laughs> jokes imaginable. Not even jokes, but even just premises that don't even make sense anymore. I'll read like three of my worst premises if you read three of your worst premises. Absolutely. Um, okay. But, this is fun. <laughs> but I guess the I guess also like when I write in my in my phone, I try to if I have like a really good idea, like I will try to do the entire bit in my phone because I think if I wait too long on it, I'll forget. Like what's you mean, funny write about down it. the entire bit, or yeah. you just mean okay? Yeah, yeah. And if I think if I wait too long, it's it becomes stale or like I think it'll less it's less funny. So if, as long as I think it's funny in the moment, I will just try to write as much as I can in my phone about it, um, just so that I get as much out of it as possible. And before I move on, are you guys actually looking in your phones? Yeah, I have okay. mine up. Yes. Okay. So oh man, this is bad. <laughs> So, one of them is <laughs> an architecture class about coral reefs with the tone of a human class. So, I guess I'm trying to, like, do, like... <laughs> what does that I mean? Think, I think I, like, think of how art history classes go and architecture classes and they talk about, like, look at the, you know, structure and the barrel, whatever. Yeah. And I, I guess I just thought it was, like, took place underwater and they're talking to fish and they're just... <laughs> Talking about the architecture of coral reefs? No, it's funny because because it's complete chaos. Like looking at a coral reef uh. that was created using complete chaos. <laughs> or it could be the worst bit I've ever written. Or you totally forgot what you meant and you just yeah. had to make that up on the spot. My second one is public storage must be the easiest business to create. <laughs> which I think that one actually makes yeah. a little sense. That's actually I could, that's very thought provoking. I could see I could see a bit around that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, you buy these garages and. Yeah. You rent them out and so like no maintenance and, <laughs> and you can put your stuff in. It. Yeah, it's a place for your stuff. So uh, give me fifty dollars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just throw your junk in this room. <laughs> uh, well, I don't have any locks yet. But... <laughs> and then my third one is Henry David Thoreau, Thoreau on HGTV's House Hunters. <laughs> because I read Walden, and he like hates uh, <laughs> like all the modern stuff of society. Especially, like, modern, how big homes are. So. Oh, my God. I anyway. Spit on all of this expensive equipment. <laughs> what do you got, Jeff? <laughs> Ice Cube would perform a terrible baptism. <laughs> That's one. Why oh would he get there in the first place? Why? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think he would do a terrible oh Just a God. random thought. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Walking down the street, and he stops and goes... <laughs> I have no idea how that came up. Um, People in real life, not photos, look photoshopped. So So I look photoshopped right now? Yeah. 
Which is not true. <laughs> no, it is I guess not, I saw no. one person who just looked like they didn't exist. He was. <laughs> Did you ask her out? I didn't bet you was <laughs> Yeah, that's a, hit, a pickup line. You don't look real. <laughs> You're listening to Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon discussing improv and comedy with members of Fordham Experimental Theater. So can I ask, as a group or individually, does your personal writing process change when you're writing for yourself or when you're writing for the group? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting thing because we've thrown around the concept of writing for the group a lot, but we've never really made a concerted effort to do it. Why? Um, I don't know. Because personally, I think it's a really good exercise because realistically, that's where most of the opportunities are professionally when you start out Mm -hmm. is being a joke writer for someone who actually, you know, is already on television. So, um, like, I've met plenty of people who've written jokes for, like, the Oscars or written jokes for, like... You've met plenty of people who've done that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Myriad. She's popular. Well, I mean, I worked for a TV show, so, you know, a lot Uh, of the, like, almost everybody who worked there also did stand-up on the side. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Actually, the really, the cool thing was I asked a writer on, on the show that I worked on what his best advice was. And he said, you have to find a group of people to write with. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, how convenient. <laughs> I am in one of those groups. Um, but it's crazy. I didn't, yeah, there you go. Now you're going to have to find a different. <laughs> uh, a better one? <laughs> um, Says the guy who's not in it anymore. Yeah. 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 Or in that bridge. <laughs> um, no, it's crazy. Apparently, I didn't realize this, but apparently like writers in New York City will go on Craigslist like personals. And be like, I'm looking for a, a group of people to write with. Oh, wow. Um, which I think is one of the biggest advantages that we have is that, you know, like, even if you find somebody on Craigslist and you're like, we're a writing group, we're best friends. Like, we went to college together. That's right. never going to change, sure. you know, no matter what happens. Like, we've all seen each other at, like, 1 a.m. on a Saturday. Sure, so, sure, sure. you know, that that's kind of a big thing. Well, why is group re- writing needed, you think? Because it helps you bounce your ideas off people or... Yeah, you need somebody to be able to say, I got up on stage once and, and I, I did a bit just in practice and uh, and it was bad and I knew it was bad. And everyone was like, no, that's, um yeah, I, it's good. And finally, one of the guys was like, you're better than that. Mm. Right. You are better than you the need thing the you just did. Sure, sure. Which you need was feedback. really important, I think, to have somebody that you trust enough to be able to say that. So, Yeah, we try to pride ourselves um in the stand-up group with being able to be like one that you can give criticism and two you can take criticism because mm-hmm. that's those are two very important components of the group I mean, and not think they're just, really trying to sabotage yeah, you or absolutely. anything like, they yeah. really are trying to sure. help because it wasn't even it wasn't an insult if anything i took it as a compliment it was like i know that you are funny you're funnier than the thing you just did and i think know? it's someone looking out for you too because other if you didn't have that other you're going to go up on stage and probably bomb with it Right. Which, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, that could also help you learn what to do and what not to do. Probably the best is bombing. You're like, all right, not doing that again. <laughs> yeah. But having a group that's be like, mm, let's workshop that, it just makes it so when you do get on stage, the stuff you're giving is all hopefully like getting contact with your right. Everybody can sort of brainstorm a little right. bit. Right. That's the great thing is I feel like when we, because our practices are just us in a room going up one at a time and saying, here's what I have that's new. That's why I'm not really bothered by the fact that I don't do open mics all that much because I feel like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going into an open mic, you're walking into a room of comedians that you don't know or trust versus us walking into a room of comedians that we do know and trust. And I think that that's been a really important thing. Right. Speaking of that, there have been a number of male comics over the years that have made the blanket statement that women just aren't 
funny. Mm-hmm. Comedians like Jerry Lewis, uh, I think John Belushi said it, and most recently Saturday Night Live's Kenan Thompson. Really? Um, yeah. Really? Uh, yes. He, as a matter of fact, he specifically said oh, black women aren't God. funny. So I'd like to hear from the guys first. What do you think of a statement like women just aren't funny? I think it's just crazy because I think yeah. everything is funny funnier i think saying that women aren't funny is crazy one because i know that's not true like i know women that are hilarious if a man can look at something and be like oh that's that's funny to me it's more an attitude thing to me than it is a gender thing you know what i mean like if you're someone who doesn't look at the world funny you're not someone who looks at the world funny and that's totally fine but i think the people that are can do that it's like a human quality more than it is like men or women do you think it's harder for men or women to be funny is there a difference? Harder to be funny or harder to be comedians? Harder to be comedians. I think it is a boys club. I think it's harder to like slide into, I guess, just because that um, kind of structure is already in place. But I don't think they're any less like able to be funny. No, I don't think that at all. So, Amanda, you are writing a thesis about women in comedy. I am, Tell yeah. I that. disagree. I don't think that women are that funny at all. So <laughs> It's a very um, easy thesis to write. Yeah. <laughs> you just cite Keenan Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> um, Give me my A, bang. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a tough thing to have to like put down my personal experiences and my personal, um, I wouldn't say prejudices, but I, I definitely like I keep my defenses up very high in the comic world because I've learned to anticipate poor treatment because I'm a woman, which is, again, another reason why I am so eternally grateful for FET, because FET and the stand-up is, is mostly guys. Mm-hmm. Is It was very uncomfortable for me in the beginning. It was uncomfortable for me to learn how to trust them um, in that way. And it's still uncomfortable now sometimes, but it's a huge thing to know that I can say, like, let's go do an open mic together. And when I walk into a room of men, like, knowing that I have these Support. guys next to me, you know... Um, because that's a tough thing. I did a show in New York City where I was in the green room with nine other men, and I was the only woman, and um, they were all making horribly inappropriate jokes, and and one of them... Uh, at, at a, like, women's expense? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really, really horrible. I mean... Were they practicing their bid, or were they just, just being... I think they were just kind of, like, jockeying that's for position. Oh, yeah, it's it's one of those so things where, like, trying to, they're trying to psych each other out, you know... Um, it is like a very locker room vibe. Um, and did anyone say anything to you? Absolutely. Yeah. They, one of the guys like, um, he disguised it as a joke, but he threatened to sexually assault me in the green room. And I was like, so taken aback. What did you do? I said, excuse me. And then that was it. Cause I didn't know what to do. I just sat there and then. I mean, and then I went on stage and I killed, and uh, <laughs> and that was the end of it. Yeah, you come but... off and punched him in the face. <laughs> yeah. I wish that's what I'm talking about. I wish I were I were better at knowing when to punch. Um, <laughs> but um, but you know, it's it's a huge thing. Like now, knowing that I'm I'm never gonna go into that situation again without one of them with me. Um, but what if you go professional? If I go professional, you know, after a certain point. You know, if you have enough of a reputation, yeah. people know to leave you alone. Exactly. Um, that's the thing is, you know, I was the easiest target in that room. And they were trying to take everybody in the room down. And I, it was just very easy. How are you going to do it with me? You're going to talk about my gender. Right. Um, that's just how it's done. So that's a very personal experience for me that I had an extremely hard time with. I, for the uh, month afterward, I, I was telling these guys, I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm not, I'm not doing comedy anymore because it was, it was that bad. Um, and then I came back from it and I decided to write this thesis about... Um, kind of trying to figure out how gender plays a role in stand-up comedy in New York City for women. Um, are you still writing it or are you finished? 
No, I, I really just started it. You just started. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, in that kind of a scenario, I know exactly why that man did what he did to me. It was, it was because he was trying to psych himself up to sure. get on stage. Um, but so there it shouldn't are, be at someone's expense. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it, it is what it is. But it's interesting because there are some people who will sit down, you know, on a, on like a Thursday and they'll write a thousand word essay on why women are, are not as funny as men. There is plenty of that out there. People say it's biological. Um, which I think is interesting and because people are smart enough to know that that's such a crazy thing for <laughs> yeah. like Joe Schmo to say. Like, I know. I know yeah. science. And let me tell you the first thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's interesting. And the other thing, some of these articles are compelling, you know, especially the biological argument is, is that women have have their aesthetics to attract a mate and men need humor. So uh, they have evolved to be funnier than women because women don't... Because they have to try harder. Yeah, yeah women don't well. need to be funny, which is another interesting thing because it's true. We just need to be pretty and quiet. Exactly. If oh. anything, being funny sometimes in, in, you know, like romantically or sexually or whatever will work against a woman where it will work for a guy. So it's just, it's a very interesting, extremely charged concept um, that I'm just kind of trying to trying to sort through and maneuver around yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um both you know both to to write this paper and also just to like just to live my life so ryan you created do you get it mm -hmm. you know the public access sketch comedy show that's uh being written and produced by fet members for the manhattan neighborhood network correct yeah, that's right so what was the process like of getting the show up and running how did you i've done a lot of production work and just kind of like bumming around getting involved in any kind of comedy anything i could um and i worked like two episodes and worked is like <laughs> um what's the word like i didn't work um, <laughs> but it was uh, with the chris gethard show he has a manhattan public access show as well and he does it live at their studios and it's like all improvised they have a show title and they just um you know they're not getting paid to do this they're just doing it because they enjoy doing it. they clearly are having fun i'm watching them have fun and i was like well you know we have such a talented group of people here why don't we just try to do it and it's obviously more work because it's you have to write it. It's not improvised. Um, but I went to Dennis Flynn, who graduated 2012, because yeah. he was he was uh, very much a part of FET as well. And I went to him and was just like, "Here's an idea I have. Do you think it's you know we could do?" And he's like, "Yeah." And hearing a yes was like, "Oh, whoa, cool!" And so give me an example, like sell it to me. Sure. So okay. my idea for a while was like, just because I grew up watching Saturday Night Live, like that was most of my intake. We go back to like Will Ferrell and Chris Farley of my influences. I just watched a ton of it. Uh, you know, weekends in high school were mostly like, well, I ran cross country this morning. Guess I should watch Saturday Night Live tonight. Real cool kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I, um, I was like. I think it could be a lot of fun to have a show formatted like SNL. It's very formatted. Like after, you know, how many 35, 36 seasons it's been on, it's very structured. There's a cold open. There's a monologue, you know, bumper photos, all this. The structure to the show is very rigid. I was like, well, it could be fun to do a basically show like that, but made for public access television. So it's like inherently it kind of writes away the problem of like lesser quality and yeah. you know you know um all the problems that we run into doing a show completely by ourselves we have no idea what we're doing the pilot and it shows um but Do you have a musical guest yeah yeah <laughs> so we have fake musical guests and it's the same yeah. structure but it's really not i don't think that's the gimmick to it it's really become like how the cast members interact with each other they're all characters would and, you say it's like a parody of snl sort of uh 
That's how I describe it to other people. Yeah, yeah. I guess it is. But um, it's more, I think, parroting the format than it's, anything yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the story, like the episodes themselves, have very little. It never references Saturday Night Live. It's just like if you've seen Saturday Night Live, you know, you know what I mean. Do you uh, do current events and no. You know, well, we did the first uh, episode. There's a character on the show who's just a clown, um, and he doesn't speak. So that's just <laughs> the kind of humor that uh, I think is funny. Um, no, but he has a segment that's like a weekend update. And, like, it's about to cut to him and go on his Weekend Update segment. He's about to open his mouth, and it cuts away to, like, backstage or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess part of the Do You Get It structure is cutting to backstage and seeing right. how the characters interact with each other. So how is being a comedian in the digital age affecting you, or is it? Mm-hmm. I think it's an advantage. There are so many avenues uh, that you can take your content to. Um, for instance, like, the, like, Do You Get It, the public access show. Like, I don't understand why people don't do that. Like, it's free. Yeah, like, we spend money doing things and we don't get reimbursed on it. Sure. But it's doing something for free that we can just do. Um, so I think I, there are so many people who have become Twitter famous based off of their jokes and are getting, like, like TV writing gigs, um, like, stand-up spots, stuff like that. Uh, Vine recently, yeah, like, Vine. a lot of people have been getting uh, getting jobs through Vine. Yeah, so I uh, YouTube all these. There's so many ways to to get your stuff out there that if you're not doing it, it's it's almost a disadvantage to. It's sure. more a pro than a con. You yeah, see yeah, 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 yeah. I'd like to thank Ryan, Amanda, and Jeff from Fordham Experimental Theater. I'd also like to thank my senior producer Alan Kamlick and producer Dan Murphy. Stay with WFUV for Cityscape with George Bodarki. That's next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.